welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today's episode of our show is yet another deep dive into the history, the backstory of a key location that makes its appearance in the National Treasure film franchise. The topic of today's deep dive is the USS Intrepid. And Emily, I am sure you already have no idea what I'm talking about. I was going to say, I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) As you were saying, it's a crucial part of the story and like an intimate plot detail that we have. It, uh, I was a little confused. I had to think back to which movie we were referring to. Um, But here we are. I got it now. I understand. So when we do the movie context, I am I'm right there with you. I might as well be the one doing it. Oh, I'm absolutely um, not letting you do that. Oh, I think that would be great for our audience. I think they might love that. Well, we already did dedicate an episode this season to a deep dive into the Oval Office, which might have been featured for even less screen time than the USS Intrepid or, you know, they're neck and neck. So uh, this feels warranted. Yes, indeed. And now that I'm remembering where it's from, I, I, I personally think that it's, it's a great choice that we're doing here. We're informing the people. Well, honestly, I was skeptical and I was wondering if we'd have enough content for this episode. Um, but I got really into researching for this because I realized I had absolutely no idea literally anything about the USS Intrepid aside from what we see in National Treasure, which is basically just, well, we'll get into that in just a moment. But (laughs) we have to start off this episode the way we start all episodes, which is our customary Screams from Parkington Lane. Now, if this is somehow your first foray into National Treasure Hunt, Screams from Parkington Lane is our very brief segment where Emily and I dive deep into the pit beneath Parkington Lane and National Treasure 1, where we acknowledge just how far we have sunk into the lore of National Treasure and how much it affects our daily lives. So Emily, do you have a scream to share with us this week? I do. Friends, family, Joshua. I have a scream this week. My scream this week has to do with my day job. Now, which day job, you might ask? Because as some of you may know, I have two currently. I am both a teacher and a researcher. I'm talking about the research part. I am writing a paper currently finishing up what uh, the research that I had done in my PhD and turning that into a publication that will be sent out and dispersed to the peoples. I, in doing so, have been playing the fun game of finding a paper and then finding a citation within that paper that you then have to read the paper of. In which you find a citation of another paper that you have to read the paper of. And all I could keep thinking about was this could be its own national treasure hunt. I mean, I'm basically going from one paper to another to find the buried treasure, which is the original source of this statement that is being made. That I just want to get down to who said it first. And it's taken me through rabbit holes. 
it's taken me around some dark corners. It has taken me through some highs and through some lows. But in the end, I've made it and I have found my treasure. The funny thing is, I may be several years out of academia now, but I know exactly the treasure hunt you are currently on. I feel like every subdiscipline has its own treasure trove paper or few papers that everyone references and you just have to do it. And once you find it, you keep that in your favorites tab forever so that you could use it over and over and over and over. And in chemistry and particularly electrochemistry, what I used to do, that was um, Hori was the last name. And I believe the year was Nope, I don't even remember the year now. It was in the 19, I want to say 1980, but I might be wrong. Anyway. Fascinating, Aubrey. Thank you for sharing that tidbit. I'm sure our listeners will uh, really feel a kinship with you being able to relate to that. Wow, you're rude. I'm sure they can relate. I'm sure they could relate to your finding citations within citations within citations. Yeah, it's definitely for a very niche audience, this scream. <laughs> well, my scream will hopefully be like a little bit more exciting to folks because it's going to end in, I don't want to say an announcement, but just like maybe a preview of sorts. Mm. So um I've been reading every night before bed. It helps me sleep. And I recently was reading two particular books that have really inspired me, Emily. Um, The first is a book called How to Win the Bachelor by Chad Culkin and Lizzie Pace of the Game of Roses podcast, which as you all know, if you've been listening to this for a while, the Game of Roses podcast has actually inspired our Screams from Parkington Lane segment. Um, But their book is sort of a written version of their podcast. And then within the same week, I was reading another book. And this book is called A is for Arsenic by Catherine Harkup. And this is a book about taking all the different poisons that the author Agatha Christie used in her novels. She was a murder mystery writer. And explaining the science and the history and, you know, the historical cases, like the murder cases and whatnot related to these these poisons. And this book book made me realize that that's kind of exactly what we do with National Treasure, just sub out poison for history and sub out Agatha Christie for National Treasure. And so an idea was born. Thanks to these two books. You all heard it here first, folks. Emily and I are officially exploring the possibility of writing a book. We are exploring the creation of a national treasure hunt book that'll be a lot like what you uh, hear on our podcast. And so much more to come on this. We're in very early kind of brainstorming stages here. But my scream is kind of an acknowledgement and a thank you to the writers of these other books for really inspiring us and also an apology Because once I made this connection in my head that like this could be what we do next with National Treasure Hunt, I subsequently couldn't focus on their books. And as I was reading them, all I could think about was translating their structure to our little endeavor here. 
So that's mm. my scream. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I think hopefully our fans have a lot to look forward to. Yes, yes. Um, so with that being said, do you have screams to share with us? Has National Treasure popped up in strange places in your life? Tell us about it on social media. You can find us at NT Hunt Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We are available for your listening ears on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Good Pods. And while you're checking us out, please like, subscribe, rate, review, do really whatever you can on those various platforms. Please show us your enthusiasm. Tell us about your lives. Tell us about your own screams from Parkington Lane. And while you're at it, go ahead and check out the link in our link tree to our merch store where you can buy t-shirts, notebooks, really anything that suits your fancy with some National Treasure Hunt logos on it and some fun little sayings from us and from the movies. Indeed. So with all of that bookkeeping out of the way, if you will, let's dive right into our episode on the USS Intrepid. Now, as you all know, I like to start by giving you an idea of what you're going to get out of this episode. We're going to kick things off, of course, with some movie context in case you, like Emily, forgot that the USS Intrepid appeared in National Treasure whatsoever, so that we're all on the same page. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the USS Intrepid because, spoiler alert, it is a real thing. And then finally, we'll conclude with what we are all truly here for, which is an assessment of the portrayal and use of the USS Intrepid in National Treasure, which is always a fun time. So with that being said, let's talk movie context here. So Emily, if I had to ask you for one word to describe the scene in National Treasure that involves the USS Intrepid, what word would you give me out of curiosity? Hmm, espionage. Interesting. So this was a test to see if you truly do remember this scene in National Treasure. And to be frank, I'm not sure that you do. So this will hopefully hopefully benefit you as well as our listeners. So in the first National Treasure movie, you might recall that Ben at some point is tied up in FBI custody after being captured in Philly in Emily's little hometown. Um, Abigail and Riley then choose to team up with Ian to get Ben away from the FBI because without Ben, they cannot find the treasure. While Ben is being interrogated by Sadesky, Ian calls Ben's cell phone and basically tells Ben to bring the ocular device, the red and blue Ben Franklin glasses, to the USS Intrepid so that they can together look at the back of the Declaration of Independence. Ian then promises that he will give Ben the Declaration and the Meerschaum pipe, in effect giving it back to the U.S. government, since Ian knows Ben is in FBI custody. And then he has an excellent line that took me years to understand because I'm not good with accents. Ian then says, and tell the FBI agents listening in on this call, if they want the Declaration back and not just a box of confetti, you'll come alone. And if you're wondering what part of that I did not understand for years, it was the box of confetti part. Mm. So the FBI and Agent Sadesky agrees to this plan because, as we know, Agent Sadesky is not very good at his job. So he takes Ben to the USS Intrepid in New York City at 10 a.m. to meet Ian. And of course, 
Ben has like a bug in his ear so that um, Sadusky can talk to him and make sure he's not going rogue. And obviously that's going to backfire. Anyway, <laughs> Ian's team has a helicopter like fly over the ship to create a massive commotion so that all the tourists are like scrambling everywhere. And then during that commotion, yes, Emily. So something that I learned from this scene, interestingly enough, was that there are regulations as to how close you can fly commercial slash private helicopters, I'm assuming planes as well, near historical artifacts. I think it was also, it's also just like height-wise for safety. There, there's mm. even regulations on like how high and where you can fly drones. Oh. Which I okay. learned when we were doing our science episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so you do remember this scene a little bit, right? Yeah. So basically in this commotion that the helicopter creates, uh, McGregor, one of the other Ian cronies, uses some sort of device to create interference on Ben's like microphone and earpiece that he's using to communicate with Sadusky. And at that time, Shaw, the crony who eventually ends up falling into Parkington Lane and dying later on, spoiler alert, Shaw approaches Ben to tell him to go to the starboard observation point towards the stern of the ship and ostensibly to jump off the deck into the water because that's what he ends up doing. Ben walks to the observation point, has his great line about, um, yeah, Mm. Sadusky, I, uh, I'm still not against you, but I found door number three and I'm taking it. And then he jumps off the ship into the water where a scuba diver is waiting for him underwater with an oxygen tank and a jet propulsion thingy to take him across the river to New Jersey. What I love about that is the mic drop. Yeah. Like right before he jumps in, he's like, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity and I'm going to spell out what I'm doing for the audience. But as I'm doing it, I'm going to drop the mic on this guy that is really annoying me. I mean, something we do not give Ben enough credit for is his one-liners. This is true. He has some really solid one-liners. And this was, is an excellent example, I think, of them. So, uh, so that's the scene. That's the USS Intrepid and how it is used in National Treasure. So because we see it for such a short amount of time, I wondered a lot about like what is the history of this place I didn't even know at the time if it was real and so that's really what we're going to dig into now when it comes to the history of the intrepid now this is going to call back to maybe some things that you would have learned in your high school U.S. or world history classes Um, anything that you might know about wars and and warships and and how all of that plays into history um yeah, that's what we're in for now. I'm excited because I remember none of those things from my history classes, as you might uh, have guessed. Oddly enough, I thought you might have because I could have sworn you being into history. Like, I could have sworn I remembered you being into history stuff when I, I knew I you in college. Take, <laughs> I did take AP history classes in high school. Uh, and yeah, I was more into government in ah. college, I think, than history. I think the class you're thinking of is music history, which was mainly for the music component of it. Uh, needless to say, we didn't learn about warships um, oh. in, in that course. Well, it, was, it was a fault, but... 
don't military forces often have bands? They do. Crossover. Before the time. (laughs) Okay, so as national treasure leads you to believe the USS Intrepid is indeed a former warship. It's docked at Pier 86 on the Hudson River in New York City, and it's currently standing there, floating there, docked there. I don't know boat language. I don't think it's standing. Uh, From what I'm aware of, boats don't have legs. Well, guess what? Spoiler alert for later in the episode. It did sit there for so long that it kind of got stuck for a while, but we'll get into that. (laughs) We'll get into that. It's It's an interesting story. So it's currently there as the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum, and it was also declared a National Historic Landmark. And I guess I should have realized that this was a real thing um, back last season when I had a scream about watching the show manifest and seeing a scene happen on the Intrepid Mm. and using that as my scream and being shocked. So, like, obviously two fictional worlds aren't going to create the same boat to be a location for them, you know? (laughs) They might. Who knows? Maybe National Treasure and Manifest exist in the same world. Actually, I reject that theory because Manifest uses a lot of supernatural stuff. And we all we know all my know feelings. How you feel about that. <laughs> yeah, not good. So anyway, the boat itself has had several different nicknames related to what it experienced at sea, let's say. Historically, it was nicknamed first the the fighting eye or the i think it's the fighting one i i really don't I hope know it's one the fighting eye sounds like just grammatically incorrect it 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 does i again i'm not an expert so this is a lot of researching online and this nickname is based on the fact that it was frequently used in battle and when we get to some of the details of its use in battle you're going to see i i don't know this feels like a lot it feels like this boat was actually very integral to a lot of U.S. history on the sea, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. But because it was used so much, it also spent a lot of time in repairs because it was kind of having some bad luck. Like, for example, it was torpedoed once and hit by four different Japanese kamikaze aircraft. What? Yeah. Yeah, that it, seems it four seems excessive. It does, right? I I think if an inanimate object can have bad luck, this boat did. And so this reality earned the ship less endearing nicknames, such as the decrepit, like the intrepid. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, what if we nicknamed an old man that? Oh my god. <laughs> You know how I always want to be friends with the old people that I see at, like, diners and stuff? I do. What if I walked up to one of them and was like, yo, bud, you want to be best friends? I'm going to call you a cool nickname. Decrepit. You might get punched in the face by an elderly person, I fear. Or slapped with their cane. That sounds even more painful somehow. But would Um, it be worth it? Probably. Only if you recorded it for us to use on our social media. I would never be that rude to an old person. I just want to be friends with all of them. 
Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that. We, we do not condone this, um, but apparently we do condone boats being nicknamed awful things. Um, but let's take it back. Before it was torpedoed and an important part of history that somehow we never learned about or probably most of our listeners never learned about in their lives, let's take it back to its origin, shall we? What? So it turns out that the USS Intrepid was built in Newport News, Virginia, as one of 24 Essex-class aircraft carriers really built during World War II for the U.S. Navy. Now, I want to break down a couple of the things I just said there. Um, Essex-class is really just like a, a model or an era of the ship. So it was one of 24 of this style of ship built at the time. Okay. And an aircraft carrier is basically a boat that serves as like an airbase on the water, complete with a flight deck and storage, like garages, facilities, etc. How big is the boat? I mean, aircraft carriers are fairly big. <laughs> oh my goodness. How does that thing stay afloat? Science. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, the USS Intrepid was commissioned in August of 1943 and ended up participating first and foremost in several different parts of World War II, specifically in campaigns all around the Pacific Ocean. Okay, so the earliest campaigns that it was involved with were largely targeting Japanese aircraft, ships, and bases in the Pacific Islands. So those were some of the early campaigns. And eventually, the Intrepid has to go into its first round of repairs after that torpedo strike that we mentioned just a few moments ago. After those repairs, it was then involved in a campaign for the Philippines. And this campaign included three kamikaze hits and the deaths of 79 men aboard the ship. So when you say campaign, you mean like uh, like it was going into battle? Yeah, like a mission, if you will. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. I thought it was like campaign, like a presidential campaign. Like they were just like riding it around kind of. And then Absolutely. I was like, kamikaze feels like an aggressive thing. Like you don't want that if you're a presidential candidate, like walking around or something. Like that is not the response you're going for. No, that would be really unfortunate and probably a sign to drop out of the polls. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So so we're talking about battles that it is going into. Indeed, indeed. And so um, after those kamikaze strikes, uh, we're in repairs again. And then, you know, you got to give the Intrepid and her crew some credit here. After those repairs, we're back into battle, back, you know, going after Japanese targets during this war. And it turns out that during this phase of its use, the aircraft that were carried on the Intrepid flew support missions against targets in Okinawa. Now, fascinatingly, during an air raid, a Japanese aircraft crashed onto the Intrepid's flight deck, killing eight people. But that's not the fascinating part because this is like an old news point at this point. Like it's getting crashed into a lot. Mm-hmm. The interesting point here is just three hours after that crash onto the boat, the Intrepid's own aircraft were back landing on the ship. What? Yeah. 
It was. What is that turnaround time? People died. They had a mission. And honestly, I suspect their old hat at like dealing with these tragedies at this point because they've experienced so many crushes and crazy things in the past. I don't know. I, I wasn't paying attention to dates because I don't like numbers, but like the past experiences of the ship. I mean, I was really impressed when I read that. So I just had to throw that out there. Do you think the Japanese aircraft crashed on purpose into the flight deck or do you think it was an accident? In this particular instance, it seemed like it was not intentional. It was not okay. considered like a kamikaze mission. Okay, because I feel like then, even if, like if it was an accident, that's almost like you need more time to like recover from that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They clearly very impressive. And also, maybe a shout out to whoever constructed the ship to begin with, because I would true. think that a crash on the ship would preclude it from being useful for like landing planes or even from sailing or that good point if i've learned anything from watching pirates of the caribbean it's that boats can be very fragile this boat not that fragile apparently not that fragile although pretty much every future use i'm going to talk about from this point forward in the history segment of this episode we're going into either repairs or remodels or something after every little iteration that's to come here. Now, some of these are going to be literally remodels, so it's not really the Intrepid's fault. It's like we're modernizing the boat with the times, you know? Yeah, you got to have the latest and greatest on board. And they seem to, and the powers that be seem to incorporate that into the Intrepid's future quite a bit. So the Intrepid was decommissioned shortly after World War II's conclusion, but then it was recommissioned in the 1950s as a carrier of attack aircraft to be uh, deployed in the Atlantic Ocean. So also, not only now has this boat been instrumental during world war ii but is also officially more well-traveled than i am <laughs> so <laughs> an interesting part of this time with the intrepid working in the atlantic ocean was its involvement in something called operation strike back which was a peacetime naval exercise that simulated a soviet attack on nato and Another thing I'll point out here, probably less famous than Operation Strike Back, but I am mentioning it because it's sciency. The Intrepid also participated in something called Operation Crosswind, which studied the effects of wind on carrier launches of like aircraft, which I'm just going to say feels like something that should have been studied many years prior in the context of this conversation. Maybe we would have had less accidents. Probably oh. not, because it sounded like kamikaze missions were coming here and to and fro all over the place. But, you know, you never know. Maybe we would have been a little bit better off had we done these, you know, piloted this, this data mm -hmm. um, or early on in the process of, of creating the ship. But they were just so gung-ho. Uh, yeah. They got to send it out. I mean, is this, you know, a real way they could have gone? Or are we just being scientists imposing data on people who do not want it? It's always hard to say because we as scientists, <laughs> I think, do that a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In any case, 
after these aspects of its little boat life, the USS Intrepid later became an anti-submarine carrier. So I was like, what the heck is that? Anti-submarine? So it yeah. doesn't carry submarines? Well, definitively, that's pretty much correct, but it does more than that. So I looked into this and basically imagine if you are out at sea on a series of warships that are really focused on finding enemy submarines and, you know, trying to track them, uh, trying to deter them, damage them, or even destroy them for your own, you know, safety, protection, your own purposes at war, etc. Now, this is an effort that takes a bunch of vessels, like a bunch of vessels to actually accomplish. It's not just like one boat. Well, this boat in particular is like the home ship, the home base of this effort to identify and destroy enemy submarines. So at this time, while it was technically an anti-submarine character, here's a fun fact. The USS Intrepid was also used as the recovery ship for a Project Mercury space capsule, Aurora 7. What? Mm-hmm. As well as for NASA's first manned Gemini flight, Gemini 3, in the 1960s. What? This boat is awesome! I know. So for anyone who's not as sciencey as us, if you're not familiar, um, the recovery ship is basically tasked with kind of going out at sea where the space capsule, when it's returning home to Earth, where it's sort of projected to land in the ocean and kind of getting near that spot. And then once the um, landing happens of the capsule in the ocean, oftentimes like sending out an aircraft to go pick up the astronauts or sometimes even, I mean, there's also a part here where you have to recover the capsule and you take right. it back to your aircraft carrier. Then the aircraft carrier takes the astronauts and the capsule home. Man, that is, I have so much more respect for this ship. Nick Cage should have been walking on red carpet or something on that ship. That is like hollowed ground. It's pretty impressive. Like I had no idea and I'm kind of just glad it got a cameo in our favorite film now. But that's not all, Emily, actually. The, in its, in its anti-submarine carrier phase, the USS Intrepid also participated in the Vietnam War. And in the 1970s, it participated in NATO exercises throughout Europe and spent time in the Arctic Circle, which is a nice national treasure connection there. The Arctic Tundra! Yep. So um, fun connections there. Also further proving that this boat is better traveled than I think either of us. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was better traveled than me like 20 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> so the Intrepid ended up being decommissioned for the second time in 1974. And just eight years later was turned into the Intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum in New York City where it currently stands. Oh, yeah. so sweet. So you would think that with such an interesting and varied history, right? I mean, we're talking war history. We're talking like space history. We're talking like 
international affairs, peacetime history. There's a lot going on here. I mean, you'd expect them to do something with the boat, right? Like safeguard it or preserve it or something, right? Yeah, that seems logical. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. So basically, it wasn't actually originally going to be a museum after its decommissioning. It was going to be scrapped. (gasps) What? Isn't that crazy? I can't, like, we, we on this podcast, obviously, revere history so much. And so, like, I can't even imagine this. But then I think about the fact that there are probably lots of structures, whether they be buildings or boats or vehicles that have held so much history that I'm sure are gotten rid of all the time, whether or not they should be, you know? Wow, that's really, oh, gosh, that's deep to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Well, I'm I don't glad know. this one wasn't destroyed. For sure. I mean, this isn't the time or the place for us to dive into another ethics conversation. <laughs> Probably a story for another day. Um, but basically, there were a bunch of real estate developers and something called the Intrepid Museum Foundation that collectively led this massive campaign. In this case, more of like a public campaign, not like a war mission, right? Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> So they led this campaign to turn it into a museum ship that would be located again at Pier 86 on the Hudson River in New York City. So, um, so yeah, I, I will talk a little bit more about that location in just a minute when we get to the National Treasure portrayal. But I did want to mention that the intrepid Sea, Air, and Space Museum as it currently stands, has been the site of many special events, including things like pro wrestling matches. What? I I don't know. Like, WWE does, like, wrestling matches in interesting places. But, like, was the point to, like, throw somebody off the ship? Or it just, like, was, like, on the ship? I'm imagining it was just on the ship because, as discussed, the thing is large. Um, But... If someone got thrown overboard, number one, I would watch that. And number two, now that I'm thinking about it in real time, that probably didn't happen because you told us in our original science and national treasure episode, I believe, that that is a jump that could kill you, Ben. It could. It could. If you, if you, enter, the, if you enter the water at the wrong angle, you know, you just get thrown off because you're wrestling. It's, it's very possible. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that didn't happen in this wrestling match, but that wasn't the only thing. It's not the only thing that the Intrepid has been used for special events wise. It's been used for press conferences, which is way more normal than like a wrestling match, but it was also the FBI ops center after the 9-11 attacks. Oh, what? Crazy. That feels like that feels like something that should have happened in a more secure location. You're literally on a warship. It's built, it can be, it can withstand kamikaze, like, flight Well, crashes. apparently not, because it needed to go into getting helped out and yeah, fixed because after at all the, of them. Because at the time, it was in the middle of the ocean, not anchored at a dock in New York City. True, that just, I don't know, that feels like a target to me. Well, maybe it wasn't publicized until well afterwards, which is why we can talk about it now. (laughs) Anyway, the museum ended up being closed uh, for some time in 2006 for 
renovations and repairs. Oh. So it is a good thing that National Treasure was filmed uh, like three years earlier. Now, back to our spoiler alert about uh, is it parked, standing, floating? What do you want to call it? Ironically, um, when they tried to move the boat for to get it to the location for renovations and repairs, they had a little bit of an issue. They learned at that moment in time that the boat had gotten stuck in 24 years worth of silt at the pier. Oh. Which feels like something they could have known or should have known or like even 23 years ago they could have been aware of exactly also feels kind of logical but anyway to get it out the u.s navy supervisor of salvage and diving which is another nice national treasure connection because recall that is one of ben's like degrees Mm -hmm. this navy supervisor led a three million dollar dredging effort to like be able to pull out the boat take it to the renovation center so that it could basically come back and be reopened as the museum in 2008. So was the fact that it was stuck in this... So it was stuck in the silt Mm -hmm. when they needed to have the renovations done. Like, that's when they found out. That's what it seems like. Otherwise, you think they would have started, like, dredging it earlier. Or it seems like if it didn't need renovations, like they could have just left it stuck there. Like it's, it's just parked basically. So oh, does it matter if it's stuck? Like well, it feels like $3 million that we could have spent on well, something they, else. They basically went ahead to, to renovate um, the museum part. And also what ended up happening was after the renovations, whatever, for whatever reason, whatever they did, they were able to open up more parts of the boat to public viewing and like experience and stuff. Um, and fun fact, there's one more science fact for you, Emily, and it has a space connection. It turns out that since 2012, the USS Intrepid Museum has been home to the Space Shuttle Enterprise. So, like, if you go visit the USS Intrepid, you will also see the Enterprise. Let's go. I mean, we do have to go. It is, like, one of very few National Treasure locations that we have not traveled to. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited now. Yeah gonna be great maybe we can go see hamilton while we're at it it's in new york City. yes oh my Audrey, god it's actually yes. a really good idea <laughs> yes we should do we that and then document it on our instagram obviously we would do that it's obviously anyway anyway so that's that is the history of the uss intrepid emily did you find any of that surprising dude i found so much of that surprising that was so interesting okay. i am still in awe about the space connections and just how just how tough of a little guy this or a big guy this boat is you know it, it really he, he's a plucky little fella he 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 keeps on hanging on yeah yeah i or she do they refer to boats as she's we, we do refer to boats as she's that's actually why ben gates dad knew that the charlotte was a ship when ben said she was beautiful true mm-hmm you're creating national treasure connections for me in this episode that I wasn't even anticipating. You're welcome. You're so good at your job. Anyway, that was our little history lesson. Hopefully y'all learned something as well. Maybe y'all want to go visit the USS Intrepid yourself. Join us. We will tell you when we go. But now it's time for the even more fun part here, which is the portrayal and use of the Intrepid in national treasure. So 
I thought I would start by just flagging, if you will, that National Treasure isn't the only project that has filmed at the Intrepid. Obviously, we know about Manifest. We talked about it before. We talked about it just again a few minutes ago. Um, there was another show called Blind Spot, which it sounds familiar, right? It does sound familiar. Did I think I might know who the actress? Well, I don't know her name, but I think I can picture. Yeah. Oh, then I absolutely have never seen it if you can picture the actors. So the, this show ran from 2015 to 2020. And in an episode called Evil Handmade Instrument, the Intrepid serves as the location of a military innovation summit. Okay. And then another TV show, which I've definitely heard of, but I have not seen, called Person of Interest. My favorite actress, Amy Acker, who I chose for some of our National Treasure um, recasting, it was on that show. More evidence why I haven't seen it. So Person of Interest ran from 2011 to 2016. And in an episode called Liberty, I believe the Intrepid serves as what they call the USS Colorado. So... Uh -oh. So, so there's some more film and, and TV connections here. National Treasure is very special, but it's not like it's the only thing that's filmed there. So basically, I wanted to jump into the minimal ways in which the Intrepid was used and portrayed and, and kind of decide whether National Treasure did the boat justice. So um, first and foremost, a tiny detail. So as discussed, the boat is docked at Pier 86 which if you are a New York City native, um, this is at West 46th Street. So if that means something for you, congratulations. It certainly doesn't mean anything to me. Um, but currently the Intrepid Sea, Air and Space Museum opens every day at 10 a.m. So talk about minor details, but it is actually unlikely that there would be that many tourists on the ship if Ben actually met Ian at 10 a.m. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. So I went, when I went for our photo shoot um, for the Ursinus magazine article, as you may remember, I went to Independence Hall to meet with our photographer. And there was a line at Independence Hall, like a long line. So it is very possible that people line up for this before it opens and then they let those people on like right when it opens. Okay. All right. I hear you. I actually, I accept that counterpoint. So moving right along, I was wondering about Ben's jump into the water, which obviously you've assessed the science of this. And I wanted to get a little bit of geographic specificity here. So I started to learn a little bit about the Hudson River. So the Hudson River is maintained at a depth of at least 32 feet for commercial boat traffic to be able to like work, you know? Mm -hmm. um, though it should be noted that the deepest part is 202 feet, which is like, whoa. Um, yeah, I literally only inserted that into the conversation here because I was impressed by that. So anyway, while Ben's jump from the deck is dangerous from like a scientific and like physiological anatomical perspective, mm -hmm. it's not like the water is super uber shallow where he's jumping into. Okay. Um, because again, there are boats sitting where he's jumping into. So they have to be at least 32. It has to be at least 32 feet deep there. Mm -hmm. Although technically, if he was jumping into the water that had a bunch of silt, 
built up against the boat. And this uh, happened three years before the dredging. If we're oh, taking national treasure time as contemporaneous time. Ow, it, ow, ow. I mean, I'm not saying it was like he could walk like across the water, but it might not have been exactly 32. He was getting all Jesus up in there. Sure. <laughs> okay. So then I was wondering about the fact that he jumps in the water and somehow he jumps at the exact right location for the scuba diver to find him immediately and then affix the oxygen tank and then use this propeller propulsion thingy to jet across the river to get to New Jersey. And so I was like, is that likely? Right. be possible and I was like I mean it would probably be helpful to understand what that jet propulsion thingy actually was well I couldn't figure that out it kind of looked like a torpedo but whatever we've had enough torpedoes already in this story so has the intrepid let me tell you so I found out that the Hudson River is around a mile mile and a half wide from Manhattan to New Jersey um so I'm sure that the oxygen tank would suffice for that journey given like the depth and length of the underwater journey like it's not super super deep they were moving at least when the when the propeller launched they were moving fast enough that it's not like they were crawling through the water right mm-hmm. um but to be fair i'm really not sure how that whole propulsion device works but i did wonder like how deep would they have to be traveling under the water to make sure they didn't get hit by a boat Mm-hmm. I feel like that would actually be the biggest sticking point of this. Yeah, they've got to be near the bottom of that 32 feet. They'd have to be pretty deep or what's probably more possible, which is going to sound crazy now that I'm about to say it. But again, Ian has, remember, nearly unlimited resources. He might have access to or his cronies might be able to hack into some system to have access to any sort of schedules that might exist to see when boats are coming and going. They might have sort of satellite visuals or, or really any kind of visuals to see where boats are up and down river to see if there's likelihood of a boat passing at mm-hmm. the same time. So from that perspective, it's kind of feasible. Okay. Okay. I buy it. And then finally, I wanted to ask the question related to another lovely, funny quote in this movie. It's when Sadusky is basically saying to his crew feel free to jump in the water to chase Ben, like at your own risk. Like, mm-hmm. is anything visible? Can you see him? And that woman I, is like, sir, it's the Hudson. Nothing is visible. <laughs> I love her. She's, she's like the hero of yeah. the movie. So honestly, it's, it's the women with the one-liners in this movie. Think of the butcher lady at Reading Terminal yes. Market that are just like beautiful. And the lady at the cash register when he's getting the Declaration of Independence. Are you trying to steal that? <laughs> You're so we right. Take, we take Visa. We take Visa. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I was thinking about this nothing is visible and thinking about the implications. So as I think most people, at least in the States, know, the Hudson River is known for like poor water quality and like being super disgusting, especially near Manhattan since it's has been like an industrial area mm-hmm. um so i was like is ben gonna die from just being in this water question mark mm-hmm. is he is is he in bad shape here so it tur- that would speak to water being the villain oh my gosh this is a premonition for national treasure too 
Water is the villain. Water was the villain. Is it the villain, though, Aubrey? Well, it turns out, I'm glad you asked, because New York environmental and health officials actually say that it is mostly safe to swim in the Hudson these days, as long as you avoid boats from crashing into you, um, as well as avoiding areas where stormwater pipes spill out into the river after rainfall, because you're going to get runoff from like streets and pesticides and rats and whatever else New York has to offer. Um, so you can swim in the Hudson. However, it is not recommended that you put your head underwater to avoid exposure to any potential bacteria or parasites or algae, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I would like to point out that Ben obviously did open his eyes underwater to find a diver guy. Got some eye infections up in there. So my uh, thinking back to my in the lab science experience here, I've decided that Ben is probably going to be okay, although he should shower immediately after getting out of the river and maybe wash out his eyes with like a nice little lab eye wash system. Emergency eye wash, yes. Eggs. This I think this qualifies. So Have he, I ever told you that I've used one of them? Stop it. Yeah. What did you do? I, uh, I was taking a brain out of, uh, I was taking a brain out and a little bit of blood spurted into my eye and I had injected a virus previously. Um, now apparently I was told later after the fact that the virus that I injected into the brain wasn't, it is, is of a type that's not able to really like function in human bodies. Mm. But we didn't know that at the time. Oh, my gosh. So as soon as I got the blood in my eye, I was like, oh, no, we got to do something. I told my lab mates immediately. And like one of my lab mates like held my contact. We like cleared the sink area out. And like I was standing there like holding my eye open with the eye wash. And it was very uncomfortable. Wow. And then my boss came in and was like, you know, that's not transmissible to humans. And I was like, I didn't, but thank you for that experience anyway. Well, the moral of this story is that as long as Ben pulls an overly cautious Emily and washes his eyes out after his little diving excursion in the Hudson, he's probably going to be okay. Eh, probably. So all in all, what, we, what do we have here in terms of national treasure portrayal? It's a real place. The USS Intrepid is a real place that they actually like filmed at and we got to see in the movie. Technically, while not smart, the things that Ben does should be fairly feasible, though he might be doing them at his own, you know, bodily risk. At the same time, if he doesn't do it, he's going to go to prison and the rest of our franchise doesn't happen. So I am here for it and uh, very glad that, you know, the uh, the intrepid of it all really seems to check out National Treasure. Aubrey, this was fascinating. I have to say, I'm always a little skeptical about these episodes because I feel like they have the tendency to possibly be dull. But this was just a delight from beginning to end, I have to say. I am so glad. And, you know, a good chunk of that has been seeing your very genuine very off-the-cuff reactions to things because I know you did not look at this episode outline before we started <laughs> recording today. You are not wrong, Aubrey. <laughs> 
So we hope you all enjoyed this, learned a thing or two, and found this just as delightful as Emily did. But hey, our next episode, if you thought this was fun, our next episode is going to knock your socks off. We're uh, doing a national treasure hunt first in our next episode with something we like to call the ABCs of national treasure. And you know what? I think we'll just let you ponder about what you think that's going to end up looking like or sounding like in the next two weeks. You're just going to have to come back to find out what we mean. So in the meantime, uh, Emily, you want to tell everyone where to find us and uh, tell us what they thought about the Intrepid? You, 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 you can, 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 fine, fine, fine. We're back to this again. Fine. Us at NT Hunt Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We are available for your listening ears on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Good Pods. Please subscribe, like, rate, review, do whatever you can on those various platforms. Tell us your thoughts on the USS Intrepid. Tell us what you think the ABCs of National Treasure are going to be. If you have any suggestions, comments, or concerns about the way that we are running the ship, pun intended, here at National Treasure Hunt, please feel free to get in touch. And while you're at it, if you want to rep the National Treasure Hunt brand, please go ahead and check out our link in our link tree to our merch store where you can get t-shirts, notebooks, stickers, magnets, anything. You can get a cool sticker that you can put on your car like me that says, ask me what's on page 47. And then people will ask you and then you have to have an answer prepared, I've learned. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, just go ahead and check that out. Indulge yourselves a little bit, guys. Oh, my gosh. And with that, I have absolutely nothing more to say. So come back in two weeks for the ABCs of National Treasure. And until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. Um,